Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Fernando. It's great to be with you this morning. It's great to be with you online on YouTube as well. We're going to be continuing our series looking through the book of Psalms. So if you've got a Bible with you or on your phone, would you open it with me to Psalm 51, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Psalm 51. The Bible says this. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And this morning, I want to speak to us for a few moments on the subject, where can I find forgiveness? Shall we pray together? Father, thank you for your word that speaks to us by your spirit. Father, would you speak to each one of us? Would you open our hearts? Would we leave our time together transformed, renewed by an encounter with the risen Jesus? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I didn't grow up believing in God. I I thought belief in God would be outdated, irrelevant, nothing really to do with my life. Aged 18, After getting five rejections from university, I eventually got in to study English literature at the University of Cambridge. And I thought living a classic student party lifestyle would bring me fulfillment, bring me all the things that I'd been looking for. But actually, I found that those things left me feeling more broken than when I started. The things I was searching for didn't fulfill. And some friends of mine in university shared their faith in Jesus with me. I became obsessed with this claim that if Jesus was who the Bible said he was, that I could be made clean. I could, be, I could experience life in all its fullness, joy, purpose, peace, meaning. And I became obsessed with the claim that Jesus was who the Bible said he was. I explored the historical evidence of the person of Jesus and I came to the conclusion it was true. And for me, I invited Jesus into my life and everything changed. And as Fernando mentioned 
Um, about a month ago in St. Paul's Cathedral, I was ordained in the Church of England, and along with people here from right here at HDB who I've been tracking with, we were ordained leaders in the church. But if I'm honest with you, I left my robes at home this morning. If I'm honest with you, that wasn't the only slightly bonkers things to happen to me this summer. Now that happened when I asked my girlfriend how she wanted to celebrate her birthday. I grew up, in, my, my dad's from India and my mum is from Sri Lanka. Before I was born, my mum was the runner-up in the Miss Sri Lanka beauty contest, but I'm told I take after my dad, so make of that what you will. But I was born in Tooting in southwest London. Anyone in from L- southwest London? Make some noise, yeah. The shy bunch, the shy people is southwest Londoners. Um, I grew up in London, so I'm not very, I don't know any other Londoners, I'm not very adventurous. The most adventurous thing I've ever done was get on the tube during rush hour. But my girlfriend, Izzy, she's different. She's a South Coast girl, she's a beach girl, she's a bit more adventurous than I am. And so I asked her, what do you want to do to celebrate your birthday? I was expecting to go out for a meal or something. She said, Ryan, I want to jump out of a plane. I want to go skydiving. I am terrified of heights. But I went with my girlfriend Izzy and two of her friends. We went skydiving. This is a photo of Izzy jumping out the plane. There she is. You can see the view. We are 14,000 feet up in the air in an airfield just north of London. This is a video of me landing. By God's grace, I made it to earth in one piece. Here we go. Amen. Praise the Lord. (laughs) I made it back. In one piece, I was clinging to the instructor for dear life the whole time. I was petrified. But you know, there's a moment before the parachute finally, finally opens and it rescued me, where you do this thing that they call free-falling. Free-falling is you are completely at the mercy of gravity, and in my case, the very heavy instructor on your back, plummeting 14,000 feet from the plane. And you're in free fall. You're waiting for this parachute that you hope will come out. And if not, the emergency parachute to come out. And if not, the timed parachute to come out. And you're waiting to see, is this thing going to stop? Because I'm in free fall. The wind is breezing. Your face is making all kind of funny shapes that you would never normally make. And you're waiting because you're in free fall, hoping something's going to stop you as you slowly plummet, as you slowly descend out of your control. And I wonder when David was writing Psalm 51, The words we just read, whether he was in a kind of free fall. He'd made one mistake after the other. And I wonder whether he was waiting for something to stop him. Something to to erase all the mistakes he had made. He was asking for a pause to this free fall. He was asking for rescue. He was asking for forgiveness. And I think there are three lessons we can learn from this psalm. So if you're taking notes this morning, point number one, write this down, is be honest. What do you do when you're hoping to stop free for? What do you do when you're hoping for forgiveness? Be honest. David writes in the psalm we just read, verses one through three. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know, he's honest, I know my transgressions. I know I've messed up and my sin is always before me. He was honest. And I think actually, that's actually quite a countercultural mindset. If you're anything like me, I am never the problem. The issue is with someone else. The issue is out there. Often we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. 
I'm very slow to say, I messed up. I'm very slow to say, it was me, I made a mistake. And maybe you're acutely aware of the problems around you. Maybe you're acutely aware of the problems in the world, and we've seen even recently some of the evils in the world. We saw a few weeks ago with the UN Climate Change Report, the unequivocal damage that humans have made. And we've been reminded in these last 18 months with the pandemic, the evils of racism in this world, the evils of sexism, the, the unkindness and the devastation of situations around the world in conflict. We think even this week of Afghanistan, we're aware that there's problems out there, but what about in here? But the first thing David does is he says, it was me. And you can read the story that this psalm was written about, a parallel story in the Bible, 2 Samuel verse 11. And the Bible says this, 2 Samuel verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring at that time, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. She conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So we read at the start of that passage that David wasn't where he was meant to be. It was the time when kings would go off to battle, but David remained in Jerusalem. That was the first thing that got him into this free fall. He wasn't where he was meant to be. But then he sees something he wasn't meant to see because he wasn't where he was meant to be. He sees this woman, beautiful woman, bathing on the rooftop nearby. He calls her over, finds out that her name is Bathsheba, that she's married to Uriah the Hittite, who David knows as one of his most loyal and faithful soldiers. That should have been a warning plan for David, but no, he brings her over. They spend the night together. She becomes pregnant. One mistake quickly leads to another and another. I wonder whether David felt like he was in free fall at this point, but it doesn't stop there. He tries to get himself out of this mess, but he make matters worse. He calls Uriah, who was fighting on the front lines, back from the battle, tries to get him to go spend the night with his wife, hoping that somehow people wouldn't notice what had gone on and actually the problem would take care of itself. But it doesn't work. Uriah is a man of good character. He says, how can I spend the night at home relaxing with my wife when all my friends are on the front line fighting? So he messes up David's plan. David tries again to get him drunk. It still doesn't work. Uriah spends the night on David's steps of the palace. And it ends up escalating so much that David plots to have Uriah the Hittite murdered. And he is killed on the battlefield. I don't think David woke up that morning thinking, I'm going to kill someone today. I don't think David woke up that morning thinking, today because of me, Uriah the Hittite is going to die. And yet he was in free fall. He had made one mistake after the other, after the other. He tried to dig himself out in his own strength and it didn't work. And David now, after being called out by the prophet Nathan, which you can read in 2 Samuel 11, David is asking for forgiveness. He's asking for the parachute to be lowered. Save me, help me, Lord. Wash me, clean me, blot out my transgression. David is honest. Would we be honest if we're in free fall, if we're looking for forgiveness today, if we're looking for restoration, for healing in our lives? Would we be honest? 
Maybe you have a group of friends that you could tell. Maybe you want to join a small group here at church, a community where you can find forgiveness and love and be honest. But point number two is this. Write this down. What does David do? He goes to the right source. He's honest and then he goes to the right source. Watch this in verse four. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now to me, this seems a bit strange. It seems a bit strange for David to write this. He's had Uriah the Hittite murdered. He's abused his power with Bathsheba as the king of Israel. And he's let down the people who are looking to him for leadership. But David doesn't acknowledge them. He says, against you, Lord, have I sinned. To me, when reading that, it feels like David is minimizing what he's done. But actually, I don't think David is minimizing what he's done. I think he's elevating what he's done to the highest possible authority. Against you, God, have I sinned. He goes to the right source. What he is looking for, healing, forgiveness, can only be found in God. And we read this throughout the New Testament. Jesus goes about healing, restoring, and the authorities say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And I said, when I was at university, I thought I'd made so much of a mess of my life I thought that I could find restoration in all the wrong places. I began to self-medicate. Maybe you're here today and we've been going to the wrong sources. Self-medicated, thinking we can make it better in our own strength. But ultimately, it doesn't satisfy that need that we all have, which ultimately is to be in right relationship with the God who knows us, who loves us. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Jesus is saying, all that you've been looking for is found in me. If we would be honest and go to the right source. But point number three is this. Write this down. Ask. Ask. David's honest. He goes to the right source and he asks for forgiveness. Verse seven, David writes this. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. All the things I've done wrong, blot them out. I don't want them to be there anymore. I don't want any record of them. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's interesting, the word that David uses there for create, create in me a new spirit, is the same Hebrew word that is used in Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. David is saying, God, I know you can create new life. I know you can bring about light where there was darkness, life where there was death. God, would you do it in me? Create in me a new spirit. Wash away my sins, blot out my transgressions. And David goes on to write in verse 16. He says, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. You don't delight in sacrifice. A broken heart you will not reject. If you're here today and you've got a broken heart, there is good news because the Bible says that God is close to the broken hearted. God does not reject a broken heart. David says, there's no sacrifice I could offer. He's making reference here 
to the sacrificial system that the people of God would have been familiar with at this time. And it basically ran on the concept that there is a price to be paid for the mistakes that we make. And often the sacrifice would involve the spilling of blood of a pure, blameless, blemishless young lamb or a goat. And there'd be bloodshed. But actually there is no sacrifice big enough to cover what David did. And he knows that and he says, God, there is no sacrifice. Maybe that's how you feel today. That nothing could restore the mess I've made. Nothing could save me from this freefall I find myself in. But David does something bold. He asks. He asks that God would cleanse him, would wash away any trace of mistake that he had made in his life. And maybe for some of us, that's how we feel. We feel that actually life started out all right. Actually, we thought we were quite blameless and pure, but somewhere along the line, we started to find ourselves in free fall. Maybe it was just one decision that we regret. Maybe just one. Maybe it led to another and another. And before you know it, we find ourselves feeling crumpled up, stained, torn apart. We don't know how to fix the mess we've made. That's how David felt in this psalm. He didn't know if there was anywhere he could turn that could make right the mistake he'd made. But he, he is honest. He cries out to God. He says, God, would you take away my sin? I know I've made a mistake. He goes to the right source and he asks. He asks, God, you can wash away my sin. And ultimately, this points to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, who paid the price that we couldn't pray, who wiped away by the blood of Jesus all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, anything we've ever done, thought or said wrong. Only Jesus can restore us. Only Jesus can make us clean. Only Jesus can make the slate fresh again. But the good news is it doesn't stop there. The risen Jesus gives us hope of new life. He gives us hope of forgiveness, hope of rescuing us in free fall. But it doesn't stop there. The good news of Jesus is that the Bible says one day a new heaven and a new earth will make way where every tear will be wiped away. That God's plan has always been for restoration, not, of our, not only of our hearts, but of a world that is hurting, of a world that is broken. God wants to use us as carriers of his love to go into the world and renew and restore all that was lost, all that was broken. David was in freefall. And maybe you're here today feeling like that. Feeling like you've made a bad choice after bad choice. Maybe you find yourself in freefall, hoping for a parachute to come and rescue you. Hoping for something to save us. It strikes me that we, our primary need isn't economic. Otherwise, God would have sent an economist. Our primary need isn't artistic. Otherwise, God would have sent an artist. Our primary need wasn't even political. Otherwise, God would have sent a politician. Our primary need was saving. So God sent a saviour, his one and only son, who paid the price on the cross, who gave his life for you so that our sins, our mistake could be forgiven, so that the slate would be wiped clean, so that we could go out into the world and be agents of healing, of restoration, 
of transforming hearts that are hurting, lives that are wounded, to restore not only hearts, but not only this city, but this nation and this world. In Jesus' name, amen.